Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Mentor. Now, I often surprise my guests coming in to record this podcast in my active way. In other words, I'm turning up in my gym gear. I come straight from the gym and I turn up in here. And this week we have the woman who actually, I think, coined the term active wear. Lorna Jane Clarkson, founder of the clothing store Lorna Jane, 28 years ago. And she did it while she's working as a gym instructor, making her own workout clothes. And I'm just looking at it and I'm going to say this to you, Lorna. Time has stood still for you, my dear. You look unreal. I can't believe that was 28 years ago. She then opened a one store and over the years now has 250 stores. And this is not just in Australia, it's worldwide and thousands of staff. Most people aspire to have a global business. And I've got the real deal standing here right to my left. The best bit, she's done it all from self-funding, even selling her house to buy her first factory to produce all those clothes. It's not just self-funding, that's real sacrifice. Lorna is a great success story of the Aussie fashion industry. Let's get into it. Lorna Jane Clarkson, welcome to The Mentor. Good to be here. Thanks, Mark. Right, all right. 28 years ago, um, what was going through your mind? You know, I think if I'd stopped... If I'd been able to look into the future and see what my life was now, I probably wouldn't have done this because I simply wanted to make active wear to inspire women. And I didn't really think about how big it was going to be. You know, I used to wear like a little bum bag to work and I used to only take cash and I used to, my husband used to pick, well, my boyfriend at the time used to pick me up from the gym where I had like this little studio on the top floor. And um, I'd say, look what we made today. And you know, I'd tell him the stories that I did custom. You know, I, it, I could never have imagined. And I think that's what's been great about Lorna Jane is that it just changes and changes and changes and opportunities come. And then you, you decide to be fearless and take on the opportunity. And um, yeah, I would never have, nothing went through my mind. If I had thought about this, I would have thought I can't do that because I didn't know. I'm, I'm the first entrepreneur in my family. You know, it's working class and I couldn't have dreamed this big at that stage. I just want for everybody who's listening, um, because you're only listening, you're not seeing, I want to describe the young lady standing here in front of me. It's all relative, of course. Um, <laughs> she's a pocket rocket, blonde. She's got light grey eyes, big smile on her. And uh, she said she was at some sort of awards night or something last night and uh, that she's all tired when you wouldn't think so. Um, so I want to know what she's on, but I guess we're going to find out what she's on because <laughs> I need some of that. Uh, and, and she's energetic, extraordinarily energetic. Now, I do want to take you back 28 years ago. You just said you were going to a gym and you had a boyfriend and you used to turn up with a bum bag. What were you doing in the gym? What, what was your deal? 
Okay, so I was um, I was actually a dental therapist during the day. So um, when I left school, my my aspirations were to be a journalist, and my mum knew that like I'm the sort of person who always looks for the good in people so my mum didn't think I really had the right personality and she imagined me in bars drinking with men and I, I, I know that she knew I wanted to be Yana Van like I wanted to be her and, and she in her wisdom knew that there was only so many people that got those jobs you know so she sort of convinced me to take a break so I studied dental therapy which is, which is a two-year course I don't know why I chose that I can't remember back that far but always I was teaching aerobics so I didn't realize it then, but that was my passion. So I would, you know, get up in the morning, teach two early morning classes, put on my uniform, go and be a dental therapist, and then teach another class in the afternoon and then do someone else's class. And, you know, yes, I so have a little bit too 80s. much energy. Yeah, 80s. absolutely. 80s. So uh, Richard, what was his name? Richard Simmons. Uh, yeah. Was, 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 was because he's a curly-headed, black, black curly-headed guy. Not black guy. Sweat He was bands. a guy with a yeah. black curly head. Yeah. So it was Sweat Ben and he had a little tiny little shorts on. He was out there sort of showing Vigor, everyone. Vigor gyms, remember okay, those? Okay, yeah, I do. Yep. No, I yep. don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. I, I do not. And uh, he was teaching aerobics because – uh, and uh, so that was a it was a bit of a trend, right? Yeah, and it did was. You, and you you jumped in on the trend and started doing aerobics class, teaching aerobics classes. Yeah, because I wasn't really into fitness before then. I, w- I was more a a, a quiet. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was really quiet as a, as a young person. Like to read a lot. Athletic? No, not at all athletic, which is unusual. But I just um, I just well, loved. Well, well, how'd you how'd you how'd you, what, what, okay, what inspired you to become a gym instructor? Well, I I. Not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> a quid, making a quid. Well, no, I just. Um, if I'm honest, I probably wanted to get on the stage. I probably. Oh, that's saw, right. Because the instructor yeah, gets up on the stage, yeah. have music. I forgot about that, in, and everyone's looking at you. In those days, Mark, you used to have to audition with a hundred people to get a job as a fitness instructor. Like it was big time. You had to choreograph your own classes, put put your own. That's right. Cassette tapes together. So it was. Um, yeah, it was. I don't know, maybe it was a cre- creativity thing because being a dental therapist wasn't that creative. Totally. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the work environment's very small. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm glad you're asking me these questions. I'm probably going to discover some things about myself. <laughs> and and so, so there you are as a, as a, um, a gym instructor, an aerobic class instructor, more importantly, or, or probably aerobic performer, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, dancing around um, – in what were you wearing? So, what were people wearing then? I don't remember. They wear those long socks or something over their leotards. Okay, here we go. Here we go. They were wearing um, fluoro. Yep. Um, and we were wearing g strings over the top of of like g string leotards over the top of tights. We were wearing sweat brands. Everything was neo and. Um, I think there's a show on Netflix called Glow or something. It's, it's exactly like that. You know, um, it's what. Those female wrestlers would wear today. Right. That's exactly what it was. Um, and I couldn't find... Terrible. Yeah, really bad. <laughs> it's coming back though. The 80s is coming back, trust me. But I couldn't find activewear that I um, loved to wear and I, I had bought my first house and I had a million friends renting rooms off me. And um, one of the girls was a home ec teacher and she had a sewing machine set up and I said, can you show me how to use this? I went to Lincraft. And bought some lycra because it's the only place that you could buy it. And I just started, you know, making a pair of tights and and then maybe a top. And because I was a fitness instructor and I was pretty darn good at it. At, at, at being a fitness instructor? Yeah, or something. At, at being a fitness instructor. So I had big classes, you know. Those were the days when you could get 150, 200 people to your class. Well, more important, you had a big audience. Yeah, so I would just get up there and do my classes thinking, 
I just, you know, I had this great new outfit, not for a single second thinking that I would sell these outfits or anyone would ask me. It just happened. People would say, where did you get your tights from? Where did you get your leotard from? Where did you get your top from? So I just started making them but why did you decide to make your own stuff? I mean, I don't understand, like, I mean, obviously there's plenty of stores around those days you could buy. So you could probably buy it at the gym itself. No, but it wasn't. Like, it was like... Um, what was the necessity? What, what, what drove you to say, I can do something better than what is currently available? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure, but I just... Um, was it necessity? Necessity is often the mother invention, but what yeah, was it? Yeah, I just, I just wanted... I've always loved fashion. I've always been that girl where I'd come out of my bedroom and my mother and my sister would say, what are you going out in that? And then like a month later they'd say, can I borrow that? You know, like that sort of thing. So I've always loved fashion. I used to always buy fashion magazines and things like that. So maybe, and I'm just guessing because I really can't remember, maybe I just saw something and thought that would look great like this. And I, I've always liked bright colours. I mean, that's a real signature of our brand. I love bright, fun colours that make me feel positive. And I do think what you wear changes how you feel you know if you put your favorite outfit on you feel confident it's like if you are going to an important meeting and you need to be powerful and strong and get your point across you wear something that makes you feel like that so my active wear made me feel maybe creative at that time now it makes me feel free because I can move in it um so yeah I don't I'm not really sure you're asking me questions that I'll probably lie in bed tonight thinking about <laughs> and I can tell you tomorrow <laughs> well, but so, so you so you, you and did you come up with the word active wear do you think you did yeah I did yeah so what made you so because you know like all great disruptors, Build a language of their own. Generally speaking, I mean, you know, look at Bill Gates, etc. They've all got this language. You know, who would have thought a mobile phone would be called Apple? I mean, they're great languages. Active wear is a great word. I don't even. I think they're called leotards forever. I don't even know what a leotard means. But active wear, I understand. So, what inspired you to come up with the word? Well, I didn't. I didn't come. I I did come up with the word. I was the first person to coin it, which I had to go back and discover. I didn't plan on doing it, but I do remember, like, um, I was born in England. I came over to Australia when I was 11 years old. So you can't be a politician then. No, exactly. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> um, and there was we, vacuum cleaners, okay? We, I was brought up in northern England, and we used to call our vacuum cleaner a hoover. I thought that's what it was, but it was a brand name. And when I started my brand and it started to grow, I used to think, I want to be the Hoover of vacuum cleaners. I want people to say, I'm going to pull on my Lorna Jane. So that was my dream at the top of the list thing, you know, like to be so good at what I did that I could be recognized that it would use my name instead of the type of product that I that I made. Yeah, because I, I just loved that, discovering that about this vacuum cleaner. So... Um, now, go back to activewear. I started designing activewear because I wanted to inspire women to be more active because it inspired me when I was teaching my classes. I thought if I can design amazing products, maybe, just maybe, she'll put it on in the morning and then she'll wear it and do more exercise and be more active through her day, even if she doesn't get to that hour workout. I didn't care if she went running or she did yoga or she went to the gym. Just be active. Okay, That's so, the key. Oh, so hang on, I'm getting it now. So, yeah. so because so because I've seen people, women like this. Um, so was the idea is that you wear Lorna Jane's active wear to the gym in the morning or yoga, whatever you're doing, and then the idea is to keep wearing it all day. Well, I prefer it the other way. You wear it and then exercise later because you can get a bit, you know, on the nose. <laughs> yeah. But that's, uh, but that's, but why, you, that, same, that's yeah. why you see women walking around in active wear yeah, today. Like yeah. they wear it as, a, as an outfit, sort of, not as an outfit, whatever you call it, daily wear. Yeah. So yeah. I just wanted – I just started calling it active wear. I didn't really – 
it just it was just more like I guess in hindsight maybe it started be active wear like that was my mindset just be active in this wear you know yeah, like yeah. and so I just started calling it that and then it's only when we looked back and we said where did we ever hear that word and we looked back and we we can't find anybody that said it before me so yes so and then that's and that's that, that, by the way that's I mean in, in hindsight. It's a, it's a brilliant word, a brilliant move, um, and it's also the message. So what you've done, what you did, and for those people listening to this, this story, it's just quite important. What Lorna Jane did here is that she changed the, the, the way we discuss and have conversations about going to the gym and what we wear to the gym. I mean, I think that's really important, and that's how you change structures. She's changed the structure of training, and she blended it into lifestyle. So we've got somebody here who, A, self-taught how to sew, or her friend showed how to sew, um, wasn't necessarily out of necessity, but she thought she could do something better. Had an interest in fashion, so she wanted to put her own stamp on it, that is colour. She gave it a terminology called it active wear and named it after herself, which, by the way, self, it's a risky thing, but self-naming something or having your own image, and what I mean by image is not just not, not necessarily how you look or your look, but your name, your signature, over a brand is risky, but if you get it right, it's brilliant. John Simons did it with Aussie Home Loans. It's called Aussie Home Loans, but it's John Simons, really. It's it's a big risk, but if you execute properly, it's it's a great way to build a brand fast. Mm-hmm. And that's what you did. Would yeah. you agree? Did but, you think this through or it just happened? I don't think anything through. I think things through now a little bit more because it's a little bit more at risk. But in the beginning, I didn't think anything through, and I think that's probably – Part of the magic formula, I think. You know, I think just jump and then you'll have to catch yourself, like build the plane while you're flying. You know, like I think if you try to get all the details sorted out beforehand, you'll never start. You know, part of what I say is just start, start small and you get the courage and you get the confidence as you make one decision after the other. And I think, you know, it's like when you buy a house, you know, don't design the new kitchen straight away. You've got to live in it and feel it and, and understand where you're going and, and feel the mood of it before you decide what your kitchen Interesting looks like. Interesting point. I, I like, actually, I'm a big believer in what you just said. Some people want to be in business and they tend to over-design it before they start and they never start. Or by the time they start, someone else got the idea and they're already up and running. And it, it is, um, to an extent, I often describe it this way is, just do it and backfill. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always done that. I've always gone and just said, I'm just going to do this and then backfill. This show, for example, this uh, podcast, you know, when we first started, we had no idea what we we're doing. I've never done a podcast before. I wouldn't have a clue. I mean, I spoke on a radio before, but it's all about backfilling. Is it an hour long? Is it 40 minutes long? Is it two two guests? Is it one guest? Um, you know, where do we rent the studios from? You know, where do I get production from? Who, who's, how do we use social, et cetera? I didn't have a clue. And if I had to sat down and try to be prescriptive, write a prescription about it, it would never have happened. And you're saying the same thing. And a lot of people who are listening to the show, you're getting, you get good tips, good ideas out of this, but don't let ever let yourself get into this process of, oh, I better listen to 20 of these shows before I start my business because mm. you may never start or someone might jump the gun on you. Yeah, I Is think, that, was that, Would that be right? Yeah, I think the most important thing and something that I use as a key to whether I should do something is like, is this different? Is this a different take on how someone else has done it. Like, is it unique? And yes, there's a ticking time bomb on that because just because you have an idea doesn't mean someone's not going to have it to like, you know, in a week's time or whatever. So, um, you know, what if I hadn't said activewear that week? Maybe someone would have said it the week later, you know, like it's, you just have to, it, I think if, you, if you're doing something the same as someone else, then the likelihood of it being 
a success is a lot less. So I think if you have a unique idea, do not sit on it. Just start. And it's never easy when it's unique because you're going into uncharted territory. So you have to feel it and be in it and have the pressures and a little bit of anxiety and that excitement, you know. It's, and a bit of paranoia. Oh, exactly. And, and you call on your friends. Have a chat. What do you think about this? You know, the amount of times I've ring, rung my friends at one o'clock in the morning and just pitched something to them, you know, like um, – I think it's important. That, 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 that's a good point, Lorna Jane. Like, yeah. By the way, is it Lorna Jane or Lorna? What, Whatever what, you like. LJ, Lorna, Lorna Jane. I might stick to Lorna Jane. Okay. Um, <laughs> la, Lorna, so, but because, you know, that, 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 that pitch piece, in other words, sort of um, pitching to your friends or your family or, or just putting it to them, I don't mean as a pitch, but putting the idea out there and talking, to some extent you actually build yourself in a position where you have to perform. So you're sort of telling everybody you're doing it and you sort of convince yourself that mm. I am doing it and all of a sudden now I have to do it. I mean, yeah. they, some people try to keep it bottled up and they sit around planning it and, you know, writing out the steps and, you know, doing it all perfectly, but they don't tell anyone and there's no compulsion to get up doing it. And to some extent, I think those people are trying to protect themselves from failure. Oh, you know, make mistakes. Totally. How many mistakes have you made? Shitloads. That's how you learn. You know, like you have to be fearless. You have to make mistakes. Some of, you know, some of the most important moments in my career have been because of something that's gone wrong or something where I've just had to leap and do things. And you have to have those defining moments. Like if you just play it safe, you're not going anywhere. You're not moving forward. Yeah, well, I, I think I mean it's, it's, it's attitudinal, and um, and I think people listening to this would probably get a good inspiration because a lot of people have great ideas, they have great ability and the great skills, and they have great opportunities, but they just don't know how to get off their ass and get started. And it's funny, you know, the Nike brand stands for that, just do it. And yeah, I don't think great. people understand what just do it means. It means just go and fucking do it. Like don't don't sit around thinking about it. Stop stop pondering. I mean, a lot of us ponder a lot because it's risk. Yeah. And a, a lot most of us I mean, it, it, innate within us is to be adverse to risk. And we have something in our brain that sort of says, hang on, that's risky. Be so mm. careful here. You've got to overcome your instincts. Yeah. Actually overthink it. Overthink your instincts and say, hang on, no, no, my instinct is just to be careful and that's a good thing. That's a good survival instinct. It's evolutionary. But at the same time, if someone hadn't tried to work out how do these two sticks rub together and I can make a fire, we would never have fire today. Yeah. And, you know, I think people look at successful people and, and I think we're successful in what we do. We're happy and, and you know, we've found our place in the world for right now. I'm still looking. Yeah. <laughs> I am too a little bit. Um you never quite make it, do you, Mark? No. Um, you know, people look at us and they think that we don't have to be fearless uh-huh. anymore. And I think you do. But you do get you do get better at it because I think, you know, yeah, you slip up, you make mistakes, we all do that. But you also have some great wins and it makes the scary parts a little bit more tempting because you know what it feels like to win. And I, I feel like that's something we have to teach the next generation. Teach them how to win. Teach them how great it feels to put yourself out there and actually achieve something. But they also have to learn. There's the risk of losing. And I think we're sheltering our, ne- our younger generation that they don't – we don't want them to lose or feel hurt or – but it's all part of the process. You know, you have I, I to. I want to talk to you about fearless because I, I might do that after the break. But what I want to talk to you just quickly about is – you, because uh, I don't want people to misunderstand what Lorna's saying here, but like – Fearless is is good, as opposed to being reckless. But fearless, being fearless is good. That doesn't mean you don't have any fear. That's a different issue. Um, but you do need to have skills. You do need to know how to run your business. 
and you know how to recruit staff and how to retain staff and how to onboard staff and how because at the end of the day it's not just Lorna Jane on her own. It's, it's she'd have a stack of people around the country, or around the world for that matter. How do you? How did you skill yourself up to run this business as opposed to just being able to sew and you know make active wear? How did you skill yourself up to run a business? Because that's a big skill. And that's tough because I think, you know, um, people see me as a person who talks about being fit and healthy and designing active wear and it looks all glamorous and amazing and doing photo shoots and that's what, you know, the press get you on that's Bondo Beach shooting. Absolutely. And there's a lot of pressure. People, I mean, people ask me why I didn't have children. I have a huge family of people that I have to I feel responsible for. You know, <laughs> yeah. I pay their rent. You 100%. know what I mean? Yeah, I'm the same. Um, this is not probably an answer that's going to um, teach people anything, but it was probably about three years into my business and I was getting ready for the end of the financial year. And so as usual, I looked in the filing cabinet, pulled out a few manila folders with all my receipts in it and went to my accountant and said, here you go, here you go, Tony. And he sort of sat me down and said, Lorna, I think, you know, if we're going to make this business go to the next level, you need to be doing a little bit more than this, you know. So I went home to my husband at the time, we just got married, and uh, I said, you know what, this isn't fun anymore. I don't want to do this. I didn't start this business to manage the books and worry about the money and, you know, employ staff and stuff. That's not what I want to do. I, I don't want to do that. I want to create active. I want to inspire women. And I feel like I'm not going to want to do this if I have to do this every day. And my wonderful husband, Bill Clarkson said, well, how about I quit my job and I come on board? So he does most of that. And I mean, we have a huge staff, like you say now, to, and specialists in different fields. But um, primarily he looks after the people he makes sure my creativity doesn't send us broke <laughs> and uh, all my dreams. Um, but, of course, I know all what's going on. We have joint decisions and, and, and I carry the responsibility as well, but not the day-to-day, which is key for our business because I can have the freedom to be creative. So, you, in other words, you recognise what you're strong at and what Absolutely. you're not strong at. So, and you brought someone who you trust into the area mm. that you're not strong at. Mm. But that's only that's at least half the business. So... What does Bill do for your business? Because look, a lot of people want to do the part you want to do, or you are doing the cool stuff, the fun stuff, creative stuff, and that stuff that suits your personality anyway, mm, and probably mm. your skill base. But what are the other things that get done by Bill that wouldn't, if weren't, if they were not being done, your business would not survive? I mean, we're not talking about the books necessarily, but what are you talking about? Administrative roles cover a lot of sins. Yeah, I mean, he he keeps the team happy. You know, he's definitely, he's the CEO. Um, he keeps the team happy. He keeps them motivated. He makes sure that we're going in the right direction, you know, that we're growing at the right rate, um, that we have enough money, I All guess, to do. Stuff. Yeah. And, but he is a true entrepreneur as well. Like he's not, don't, please don't imagine him as an accountant or something sitting there and, and crunching numbers. He's not like that. He's such a visionary and we share that in the business now. Um, but, yeah, I'm so grateful for him. People ask me all the time, how do you work with your husband? Oh, my goodness, how would my life be without him, you know? I will say his office is on one side of the building and mine's on the other. We do keep it separate. And we ha- I feel sorry sometimes for some new staff that come in and we're sitting in the boardroom doing a marketing meeting or something and Bill and I have a difference of opinion. You'd think that we'd discuss it before we went into the- but we don't. <laughs> um, you know, and they think, oh, my goodness, they're going to have a huge – but 
I guess we just don't keep, make it personal. But, I mean, there's so much that he does and there's so much, you know, we also have people that look after a wholesale department. We have a great CFO. We have great people, people, you know. Um, HR, you mean like in yeah. the human resources sense? Yeah. And uh, it's – we haven't always had the right people and, and you have to get a brand fit as well as a, um academic fit. Um and I think it's the biggest challenge in business is getting the right people. And do people, you know? work, I mean, do people work in your work they turn up and actively? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, they, they all kind of work feeling. Oh yeah, we we have a health food cafe, we have a gym, we do yoga classes, but we work really hard. Yeah. You know, one of my biggest things I write about it in my new book is like one of my biggest things that I really hate. And you know, you're saying that I'm happy and bubbly and stuff like that, but I have this tiger inside me like if you just push me I you know I'm not going to be trodden on I'm not going to you have to have that fortitude when someone I say to someone like in an interview they've had the interview and you know someone texts me or rings me and said this person's really good come on in I want you to meet them if they're working in you know in my team or something else so I come on in and introduce myself and I always ask why Lorna Jane because that's important to me like, is it a brand fit? And if someone says, oh, you know, I'm just, I really want some work-life balance, like my just face, like I just like, and they do it all the time. I think people look at this brand and we advocate that, you know, about building a life that you love and making sure that you're getting all your priorities in the right place and stuff like that. And um, so they think, you know, we're drinking green smoothies and doing yoga in the middle of the day and all leaving at four o'clock. That's not a successful business. I love that because I often do, do talks about this sort of stuff and people say, what about your life, work-life balance, Mark? How do you get work-life balance? And I, my, my view on it, and I, I'd be interested to hear what your view on it, is that the work-life balance is a, is a matter of averages. So you're not going to get it every day. You're not going to get it every week. You might get it every six months. In other words, you work half for six months and you might take three weeks off or two weeks off if you're lucky. But this business of people sort of saying, well, I like to work from home on Mondays and I'll come to work on Tuesdays at 10 and leave at 5. and I'll, That doesn't work in a business environment. You, you mean, so effort is an underpinning uh, tenet of every successful business, effort by everyone, not just by the proprietor, which mm. in your case is yourself and your husband, but the effort by everybody. Everybody must put in an equal effort. And I just, I mean, some businesses you can work a little bit from home. I get that because, you know, using internet and emails, et cetera, but in an administrative sense, but it's better if everybody's in the same environment and everybody's working off each other and building energy from each other and building momentum and building up towards an outcome, which could be, you know, there could be a show on for you in your case, you know, some where you show your gear or you might all be heading towards some awards function or something like that. Or, you know, you might be working on a new big client. Um, but that effort has to be everybody and everybody's got to come in every day and work hard every single day. Is that something that you you uh, talk to your people about? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I want people to work for me that are passionate about what we do. I want it to overflow into their life. I don't want to control their life, you know, and I want them to be happy and I want them to be fit and healthy, you know. It's, it's really important to me. But the happiness isn't doing what you guys do. That's the point. It's, it's yeah. not, not, not saying, well, do what you want because it makes you happy. Yeah, and I think – there's a few examples. When you were speaking, I was thinking about a few examples of um, – I feel like if you are in the right place and you have found the right people, the right company, the right job, the right dream, whatever it is for you, because not everyone's going to have their own business, you know. You might be working for this great company that you love the people there and you love going to work every day. When you find that – you don't want to work from home. Hmm. You want to be sitting next to the girl that, that you really like at work yeah. and, 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 you know, talking and community. Feel, feeling the energy. So I feel like if you f 
want to limit the amount of time that you're at work. I mean, there can be times when your children are young and I get that, that you want to be more at home and stuff. But if you feel like that about your work, that you want to have minimum time there, look for a new job mm. or start asking yourself the questions. Am I doing what I want to do with my life? Am I Is my life going in the right direction? Because, yeah, like I'll plan – this is a girl that does a great yoga class on on, on um, Friday mornings. It's at 9.30. That's inconvenient for me, you know. Um, and I'll plan and I'll think, you know what, I'm going to go. I'm work a little bit from home and then I'm going to go to the class and then I'll go into the office. But something might come up and I'm excited about it and I, I feel like it's more important. So I just don't do the class. Other weeks I'll do the class. It, I think every day is about choices. You wake up in the morning. Do I sleep in? Do I work out? Do I pack a healthy lunch? Do I have takeaway? Do I stay back at work later or do I get home and walk the dog and be with my husband? And every day is different. Sometimes you have to stay back because you're just writing something and it's flowing and you're feeling really passionate about it. Sometimes you've got a deadline. You don't want to be there, but you've got to hit the deadline. Every day is different. And I think you just have to create that balance like you say yourself. How do you um, impart it on your staff? Or is that what Bill does? You know what? By example, I think if you were to ask every single one of – my staff, how hard Bill and I work, they would say that, that we're in their office all the time, that they're inspired by us and, and our work ethic. We lead by example. And not because we're trying to lead by example, that's just who we are. Well, I, 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 I've got it in front of me here, Lorna Jane's book. It says, Love You. And uh, it's it's a big, thick book. It's got lots of stuff going on in it. Um, I, I know it's not available for, for purchase yet, but I've got a special edition here, which gonna, I, hopefully I'm going to get a signature on. Um, and uh, I do want to talk to Lorna about this book when we come back from the break. I also want to talk to her about some other sort of deeper sort of issues that probably, you know, she probably never really discussed on radio before. So uh, we're going to get into it after this. So uh, hang in there and I'll talk to you after the break. Okay, we're back now, and I, I, I I'm really interested in talking about uh, Lorna Jane's new book called Love You, and it's you know, it's, it says Lorna Jane Clarkson, which is a, a tough thing to do. I don't, I'm not sure what's in the book because I've read it. Just basically just got got to put in front of me, but um, a tough thing to do is to write about yourself uh, and write about things that you believe in and um, espouse virtues and values, etc. Is that what the book's about, Lorna Jane? Um, it is. It's my fifth book. Not that I actually ever planned to write a book. Um, I wanted to be a journalist when I was younger. And I'm, it's funny because my mum always says to me, it's funny how things just work out. Yeah. You know, it wasn't – I never kept thinking, oh, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. It just sort of happens. So I, I now have the the ability to – the opportunity to write with my – what I've chosen to do with my life, which is amazing. So um, – I currently do a schools program where I take my team around to schools and we talk to young girls about the importance of loving yourself and being confident. And, you know, in this world of social media where everyone's chasing perfection and constantly comparing their lives to these, you know, these sugar-coated lives that they see on social media, I just wanted to make sure or, you know, talk to women about – young girls, sorry – about how important it was to love yourself and find your unique talents and find your own way in the world. And the more I was doing these schools programs, you know, the teachers were relating to it and it was front of mind all the time and I just started writing about it and then I said, well, you know, I think I need to write a book about it because I think it's not just a message for young girls, it's a message for all women, you know. Um, and men too probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I know it's not your audience necessarily, but it says love you. you what you mean by that is love yourself. 
Yeah, and it's funny because whenever I write a book, as I said before, it just like starts to unfold and suddenly I think, I need to write a book about this. It's a message that I think needs to be heard. The title comes about halfway through and sometimes it's right at the end and the title was Love Yourself to start with. Was it? But I thought Love You. The reason I decided to love you in the end is that I thought if that was sitting on a table and you just were currently reading it and you were just looking at it and you walked past it, it was telling you. I want people to look at it and be reminded, like, love you. Hmm. Like, And I also thought it was really nice for me to hand it to you and say, love you. You know, like yeah, I just yeah, think yeah, there's yeah. so many things because I cool. am that person. If, you're, if I'm close to you in your life, like you're not going to get to say goodbye to me without me telling you that I love you, you yeah, know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it's something I was brought up with. It's a habit, but I mean it, you know, so and it lots is, of and, reasons. And loving yourself. Well, you know, the whole sense of love is really important, but loving yourself has become sort of popular in terms of advice to people, love yourself. Um, but let's scrub that away and just tell me what you really, the popularism, and let's scrub that away. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, like it's awareness and, uh, you know, um, mindfulness and love yourself and, and they become so popular they nearly become catchphrases and no one really knows what they mean. They get just get bandied around the place. What do you mean by, you know, people loving themselves and particularly for, for women? How, how is it empowering or what does it wipe away? What does it, def- what does it defeat? Okay, so can we just go back to you saying um, about it just being thrown around? Mm-hmm. I agree. And that is ultimately why I decided to write the book because find what you love, love yourself, find your purpose. Everyone's talking about it, but no one's actually telling people or giving them the tools to how, do it. How yeah. To. So um, for me, I was a shy young girl. But I did well, have never thought so. <laughs> I was, and I'm still pretty shy. You know, I'm confident when I talk about my business and when you put me in this situation. But you know, I was at a function last night, and I was happy not to talk to anybody. You know, I, I love watching people, and you know, um, so. But I did have a really good upbringing where I was told that I could do anything if I tried. Like I knew I had to work hard for it, but you know, you, you can do anything if you set your mind to it, Lorna. You know, you, you can do it. So I had that self confidence. Um, going into the schools and talking to young girls and with social media and all the things that I was seeing, I could feel that that wasn't so much the case with the next generation. And then a few years ago, I went through something personally being misrepresented in the media and, and you know, then it goes into social media and went through a really hurtful time where I felt like I was being misunderstood and misrepresented. I'd spent all my life, well, most of my life, dedicated to inspiring women and then someone was saying that I was the complete opposite and I just was out of control. Was it one person, someone? Or no, a group. Like, a group. I mean, one person says it, then everyone else gets but, on but it. They it's all like, jumped in the bandwagon. Absolutely. They're, they're the haters. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think some of them should have more responsibility, you know. Um, but nowadays with, with the press, it's about who gets there first. And sometimes I feel that they fail to get the story right to start with. It's just we've got to get it out it's first. Backlinks. You know, yeah. So, and... Gosh, you're like going through that yourself, it, honestly, Mark, it broke my heart. I was devastated. And I had to go through finding that self-love, that self-confidence, that self-belief all over again because it was so – I was so close to walking away, so close. And it was funny because when I was writing the book, I, th- I questioned myself, how close were you, Lorna? I was thinking it. I was saying it to my husband. It was probably lasting – five hours 
And then it's like, I'm not going to let them tell me what to do with my life. So the tiger came out, you know. But, you know, someone who maybe didn't have my upbringing, who wasn't so in love and so committed with what they were trying to do, because I think my what I want to do, inspiring women, I know it sounds cliche, but that is truly what I want to do. Um, if I wasn't so passionate about it, I think I would have walked away. And I think that's a shame. It was brutal then. It was. It really was. I just wanted to curl up into a ball. And and I have so many fans, great family, you know, people who really support me. And just as much as there was these people who didn't know me saying all these awful things about me, there was all these great people saying, don't listen to them, don't listen to them. But it was really hard to ignore the people that don't know you. You hear them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and by the way, people can't wait to get on the bandwagon and jump in onto your social website and uh, on your Twitter account if you have a Twitter account or your Facebook account and basically put the boot in because they can. When you have 1.5 million followers, people will use your platform to help themselves. I had people coming on board saying, she did this to me. And I'm like, I don't even know you. You mm. know, like it was really hard and I don't want to give it more oxygen than it deserves. But I went through this time when I had to rediscover myself and I realized how hard it was. And the book shares what it took for me. Like it, it took being grateful for those people that do support me, for being grateful for this opportunity and not letting it slip by because of, you know, some haters. That says more about them than it says anything about me. Is this me. book like a cleansing then for you? It was. And yeah. it was really funny because I'm going to Byron Bay next weekend with my family. And the reason I'm going is because I was going to launch this book about Love You Um in a retreat because there's recipes in it, there's my workouts in it, there's mindfulness and gratitude and meditation and all these things that I really believe in. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll give this exclusive, you know, to event to like 40 of my of my customers and I'll we'll eat the food, we'll do the practices and it'll be amazing, you know. So I'd planned this weekend and then as I wrote the book, it became different. Like it was a little bit more hard hitting. There's a lot of untold stories in there. Um it's going to be a bit scary going out to the media with with it because I I'm, I haven't attacked them but I've told my side of the story you know so um, it changed so it is hard hitting I think and I had to have a lot of encouragement for the people in my life to actually go that far so I'd write a story and Bill would say is that all you're going to say about that is that all you're going to say so I'd go back and write it again and I don't know whether you believe I mean I'm a yogi so but I used to get anxiety in my throat and get really choked up because I was finding it really hard to express myself. I'd lie on my back like trying to relax and meditate and I'd get this really feeling of anxiety which is I talk about being fearless and facing your fears and I know what you mean about fearless like I'm it's exactly that it's a hard word because people think you just be reckless but I it's just more about facing your fear and understanding that that fear is just a story you've created in your mind what could happen it's a story it's not going to happen it's just your defense mechanisms sort of trying to talk you out of it. Um, so I had to face all that when I wrote the book. But my goodness, it feels great now. You know, and when I watch people read it, like not many people have had the chance to read it, but we were at a TV channel yesterday and one of my staff was talking to me and I'm trying to prepare for the interview. You know, I said, can you just be quiet? And I just gave her the book. And, you know, like, can you just shut up and let me just think, you know? And she read the book and she was, oh, my God, this is fantastic. And she knows most of the stories. So, but um, not compiled and probably not articulated all in one place. Yeah, and it was hard. There's a lot of my raw emotions in that book. Yeah, but there's also a lot of great practical ways to how I found what I love to do, you know, and, and – and how I overcome things. And, and that's all I can do. I'm not an expert in anything, well, but I've lived at, it. I'm you just know? looking at um, four chapters. 
four four headlines for chapters. First one is this is just happened to be the ones I've, I've opened up. Practice gratitude. Mm. I had to do that through those tough times because I have so much to be grateful for. But when things go wrong, that's all you can see. You know, like you put, for example, you know, you put some clothes on and there's something about your body that you don't like. You just focus in on it. You're amazing. You're going to an amazing event or you're going to have lunch with your family. Concentrate on the stuff that really matters. And, you thank, know? and thank someone or be, uh, be gracious about it that you've. You, you're going to the function. And you know you've what? You've got two legs and yeah, you're exactly. going to the function. Exactly. And uh, you've been invited to the function and you're, they think it's important enough for you to be there. That's a, Surround yourself with good people. Yeah. That's another chapter. Yeah, I really um, sort found the value. I've always known that I have a great team and a great family and, you know, you always know when, when something happens and there's a bad misleading headline about you that, you know, the people who come up on your phone, like, how dare they? And they get all, you know. Um, so... It is really good to have a support group. But when you're in business, I, for me, over the years, it's also important to have people that will challenge you. So what, I don't want what, yes what people, what do, you know. Yeah, well, what is good people mean? Because, I mean, I have a view. If there's someone negative in my environment, piss off. Get out of my, get out of my house. You know, I, I, my, my house is my business. Get away. I just, I, 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 and, but I, don't, I never feel the obligation I've got to try and change them because that doesn't work. Yeah, I've tried that in the past. Mm. You can't change those people. Not every flower blooms in the same garden, you know. So, you know, I've had those conversations. You're a great person, but you're not right for my business. Mm. And I feel like you'll find your place, but this isn't it, you know. I, I've, you know, regrettably, not regrettably, sadly, had to do it with some people in my life that are my were my friends. Yeah, because you, know? you evolve. Friendships yeah. don't stay static. Yeah. They evolve. Mm. And I, I, you know, this is good for everybody, but... My goodness, you know, if if anyone listening, just be grateful for those people in your life. My goodness, your life is the people, you know, the people that you go home to, the people that support you, the people that make you laugh. You know, have you ever been in a room with someone and you're talking to them and you just want to wrap your arms around them and say, I love you because they just make you feel great, you know, or you're laughing with them and you just have that euphoric feeling like, I just love being with you. You know, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you make my life feel better. You know, this everyone has someone like that in their lives and just be grateful. Bring them up right now. And it's, another <laughs> oh, one, after it, this. <laughs> and the next chapter, is take care of yourself. Uh, like, uh, you know, once when I was a young man, I was in my 20s and um, I was working in a, um, a law firm and uh, the um, senior partner, uh, a proposal was put to the senior partner whereby um, one of our clients wanted me to go and work for him and the client told the senior partner and was actually prepared to pay a transfer fee. I've never heard anything like that before but because um, I thought oh, maybe I should get the transfer fee. Why should the senior partner get it? But the senior partner, and I'll, I'll name him, his name is David Bavsky and, uh, and uh, um, you know, a good friend of mine, remains a good friend of mine and um, David grabbed me and told me what had happened about this particular um, client asking that and he said to me, well, you have to make a decision. This client was offering me a lot more money a lot of um, guarantees of bonuses and all that sort of stuff. And um, and I said to David, well, I don't know what to do. I was only 26 or 27. And David said to me, Mark, he said, I'll give you one piece of advice. Always look after your own corner because no one else will. And that's sort of that's sort of what he was saying. Take care of yourself. Mm. Just, you know, look after yourself, mate. It's your decision. You have to make the decision that's right for you. Look after yourself. Mm. Don't rely on others. It's not that no one wants to help you, but don't rely on it because it's got to be your call and you've got to look after yourself in every aspect, mm. not just in business either, by the way, in yeah. everything you do. Is that what you're talking about, take care of yourself? I think a little bit earlier in the book it's more about that, about 
you know, you have to take responsibility for where you are in your life and your happiness and how you feel. But that actual chapter is talking about active living, which is my personal life philosophy. And I really do think that you need to look after yourself physically and mentally to do anything great in your life. You're like, Active living is the philosophy. The practice every day is move, nourish, believe, which is pretty self-explanatory. And um, I just feel like, you know, you need to move your body every day. You need to get that circulation going and get those endorphins flowing. You need to eat good food so you can think and be at your best every day. And, you know, everything starts with believe, doesn't it? Like, you can't honestly, rely on someone else to do it for you. No, Don't it, lean on other people to do it for you. No, I and I agree. Like, I that's a really good message to the next generation. I think there's a little bit of entitlement out there. Mm. and um, But not in a posh sense. They just – it's just happened that way. It's not – they're not being posh. They just think that, oh, someone else is going to fix this for me or i got to go get someone to fix this for me. It's not going to happen. And you know what? It's not their fault. Society has done that. We yeah, wouldn't totally. have this much of it if it was their fault or their parents' fault. Society has done that. It's – it's how parents have felt they have to bring up their children. It's how um, the schools are structured. You know, no one. You, we used to get smacked on the back of our legs at school. Correct. You know, when we were naughty. You can't do those sorts of things now. And I think all these small decisions. It's not one decision that society has has done has changed our young people and their and, expectations. Yeah, and they're still amazing, but we we this, we just have to teach them a little bit of that. Right now, I, I fought against it with my four sons through through the whole lifetime, and uh, I actually reacted to the way I still did it in my household. What I thought was the right way to prepare my sons for their life, as opposed to what they they went to Cranbrook. So Cranbrook, you know, <laughs> endorses all those things you just said. You know, can't smack, can't do this, can't. <laughs> no one's better than anyone else. Blah blah blah. But it's not true, mm-hmm. um, and we're all different. And what we're going to find is what we're best at. Yeah. And that's not, and as opposed to, you know, okay, no one's better than anyone. Everyone's the same. I get all that. But it, that's all crap. I mean, you got you forget about all that. That's not, that's irrelevant. You got to find out what you're best at mm. and do it. Doesn't mean you're the best at it in the yeah. world, but what you are best at mm. and do it. But also expect the knockbacks, et cetera. Yeah, uh, I agree. Lorna Jane, I mean, it's hardly, it's hardly appropriate for me to offer this to you because normally I ask our guests, um, you know, what question you got for me, but, uh, You've you've achieved a hell of a lot, and there's probably not much that much you, you know you don't know. But I always give everyone the opportunity. What one question would you like to ask me? I know, and I listen to your podcast, so I know you asked that. Thank and you. I've been I had to really search, you know, because um, I wanted it to be a really good question. And this isn't a good question, but um, it's I've got two. Can I get two? You can have yeah, two. Okay, yeah. I'll come back if I have to come back and give another one. <laughs> um, I. What do you think? Like, where are we going? Like, you know, um, I have a global business and I, I, I have a big business in the US and we're moving into China, huge rate. But Australia is super competitive. Um, retail's changing. Everything seems to be really changing, changing so much faster than what I was used to in the past. What do you think? Are, are we, is things going to get better for people in Australia? Because I think... Everyone's doing it tough. Everyone, it feels like they're not earning enough money, but businesses can't pay them any more money. The cost of living is horrendous. I'm feeling it and and I feel like I have a bit more cash than, than the average person. So 
What, as Aussies, can we look forward to in the next five years, do you think? More hardship or is it going to get better? It's a very interesting question and it's one that the, the Reserve Bank is always battling. And the question that you're asking me, Lorna Jane, is um, how will our standard of living improve or will our wages increase, basically, the amount of money we all receive? And wages haven't increased in this country for a long time. We've had effectively a wage recession for the last five or six years not a recession in the economy, but a wage recession. That is, um, we haven't had any growth. Most people's wages haven't had any growth. To some extent, that's a good thing because that has actually helped to hold the costs of running small businesses, which actually has allowed the small businesses to develop. The only way a a small country like ours can have an increase in wages is if all of a sudden the businesses that we are working for have the ability to increase their prices. And price increases in this country are being discouraged because we have a policy, a government policy, a a monetary policy of keeping inflation down. Prices only go up with inflation. Mm. Or demand increases and the demand only increases if all of a sudden you've got more people out there wanting it. Our our growth numbers and our immigration numbers aren't enough to increase demand for our products domestically. Someone like you is a good example. You're increasing your demand for your product globally, which means you can probably start playing with your prices. Until Australian services and products start to be much more global and international, we're not going to get any increases in our prices as a result of demand increase, what they call aggregate demand. We are definitely not going to get it locally in a domestic sense. It doesn't matter how much money government spends here. You know, they can build railways and tunnels and whatever they like. That's not going to increase demand for goods and services in this country. Interestingly enough, the Reserve Bank and, and I should say, it's not going to happen. And until aggregate demand increases for most Australian businesses, goods and services, then Australian businesses will not be able to afford to pay their staff more money, which means Australian people won't feel wealthy. Now, we've done a good job at making feel wealthy by getting house prices to go up through interest rates. That's been a good job. But that's all of a sudden going to stop at the same – it's not going to go at the same speed it's always gone at. The Reserve Bank, interestingly enough, though, has recently said that they expect wages to start to increase in two to three years' time. Now, that just means – what that means is that they are working the economy and our businesses in Australia such that we will all get ahead. We did have a GFC, mm. and it takes many, many years. That was a, that was a, a traumatic event like much more traumatic than any of us give it credit for. Mm. I mean, in business owners, you know how it mm. works, especially if it's a global business. So I expect, and I'm a big believer in our Reserve Bank. I think our Reserve Bank does an excellent job in managing our economy, probably better than the government does at a fiscal level. Um, our Reserve Bank, and that's not, by the way, their responsibility, but they are taking a very active view on um, recovering our economy. They've done it very steadily. They drove, got us through without a recession during the GFC. Um, they played around with interest rates very well. They've been managed to get our house prices at a high level, but now seem to be out of manage, uh, managing them from sort of going overboard. And therefore, I have enough confidence in our Reserve Bank that they, their policies and their execution is going to get wages to increase over time as small businesses start to make more money. I will also say at a government level, particularly in relation to the coalition, I know Morrison very well, our treasurer, and he has a 100% view on small businesses as being as not just talking about this but being the thing that drives his country. So if he can help small businesses – drive this drive our economy 
using things like digitization, being better at what they're doing, then our small businesses will make more money, not only locally, but hopefully globally. globally. And as a result of that, they can afford to pay the staff more, which everybody then uh, benefits from the prosperity dividend. Mm. That's what we're looking for, a yep. prosperity dividend. Now, we sort of had it in 2006, seven, and it dropped off in eight because of the GFC. Not our fault, but it just ha- it was happening. That prosperity dividend started to come around a little bit but through the, through the mining boom, through 9, 10, 11, 12, but not all Australians shared in that. The prosperity dividend in Australia is going to come as a result of this government, together with the Reserve Bank, building our small business environment. That is the only place it can possibly come from. And I'm one, I'm like you, I'm waiting for that to happen. I want to be in a position for my business to be able to pay my staff much more money because yeah. they bloody deserve it. And and I'm, I'm a big advocate of supporting Australian businesses too. Like everybody can help by supporting local businesses, by Australian brands. Totally. And you're going to help your economy. You're going to help yourself, you know, and the economy and the world, Australia for the next generation, for your children. Like I just, I buy local all the time. I, I think it's important that we all support local businesses. At every level. Yeah. At every single level. I think mm. we should operate that way. And we've got to have that mindset. But that requires a government and all the various instruments under the government to get out there and start talking this. Mm. I don't think it's, I'll be honest with our Prime Minister, it, I don't think it's been enough to talk about, um, the, you know, the ideas nation, the, you know, the smart nation, because that, that's sort of a little bit re- removed from business owners. You know, it makes us look like we're just only going to be good for some sort of technologist and we're really brilliant at technology. And this is for all the super geniuses and the guys that end up at Atlassian or end up at Microsoft or move to Silicon Valley. I think we've got to get do more general basic fundamental talk to the business owners, the mm. people who actually drive this place. We're not looking for brilliance. We're not, we're not looking for brilliance. Brilliance in terms of, um, you know, high IQ. We're looking at, at brilliance in terms of how you run your business and how committed you are and how good a boss you are or how good a proprietor you are or how good a staff member you are. That's where the brilliance is that we should be seeking and nurturing that. That's what I think the government is. is I know the Treasurer is starting to concentrate on this sort of stuff. So, and I think that's where they're going to go. They're just a little bit behind the eight ball because they've had a lot of interruptions in the last three or four months with uh, you know New Zealand governments putting out uh, putting out all sorts of stuff about deputy prime ministers, etc. But and those things really give me the shits because they're total distractions. I mean, I just mm. wish the parliament, particularly the opposition, would just leave it alone. Let's get on with fixing this joint up. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, and I'd like. Can I just say? I know this is your question, not mine. But <laughs> you're like, why? Why you were talking? I was thinking, you know, like. We see our politicians and our leaders being interviewed by people, people who maybe have an agenda or there's something that's topical, you know. Like I would love to see a show where – because I do this and my husband does this with our team all the time and I'm sure you do it with your team. We just sit down and get the team together and we talk about our dreams and where we want to go and the plan and and in more detail so that we get people on board. And I don't think we give our politicians enough space to actually sit down – with a t- you know a camera in front of them or on a podcast and actually say what they want to say and what the plans are and just exactly how you said it like I'm thinking yeah let's go you know Mark well, you let's know, do this what you the know politicians need to do what we all do and they need to have a political hackathon 
We just need to hold a hackathon for politicians. But and it shouldn't be someone else's agenda. It should be just them saying yeah, why well, they're just, doing it, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to get the treasurer in here anyway because he's expressed an interest in coming in. Because I'd like to talk to him about all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Like real deep stuff, mate. You know, really, what do you want to do? Like, what's your view? What's your values? So where, where are you coming from, you know? Let's I see mean, them as humans, you know? Correct. Because who would want that job unless they really want to do some but good for our country? Up. Yeah, but I they, agree. They, but we vote for them. We don't even know what they really believe in. We don't even know what they're thinking. Yeah. You know? Yet we're expected to tell everybody how we're thinking. Mm. You know, and we're dragged through the media like you're being dragged through the media. Mm. By the way, I've experienced that myself last year. It's tough. Yeah. And, um, you know, you need as much support as you can get. And right now we need political support on this very topic that you just raised. How do Australians start to feel like they've got a great future ahead of them? How do we get really positive? How can we make this the best country in the world to fucking live in? You know, and who's going to do it for us? You and I can't do it. We, I'll be part of it. You can be part of it. But that's in the hands of our fearless leaders. Yeah. And they've got to be fearless. Just like mm-hmm. you've been fearless in your business, they're going to be fearless. They've got to take some risks. Stop yeah. sanitizing everything, asking 50 advisors where you're going to go, and then saying, oh, shit, we, instead of saying that, we're going to say something totally different, yeah. which dilutes the whole <laughs> damn idea in the first place. And not everyone's going to love you. You know, be brave enough to say what you actually think and start moving this country in the direction that we know. Lorna we Jane, I, I, this is killing me, but I, I, I haven't got enough time. I need you to come back. Can you come back? I will come back. But you know what? I want to work out with you, Mark. But you want to do a gym workout? Yeah. I, oh, well, look, I think – let me think about the about, type of workout. You mean a yoga class? What sort of <laughs> no, workout? No, no, Okay, gym workout. Gym no, workout. No, well, yoga workout's fine. I do yoga. I'm cool. Okay. I'm cool with that. Well, I'm an instructor. Yeah, I, I guess that. Um, <laughs> so what uh, What I want to do now is oh, – I uh, definitely uh, we're going to get you back. Yeah, that would be fantastic. No, I'd love to get you back because there's a lot more to talk about. And it'd be, it'd be good to sort of see how the book's going, et cetera, too, mm-hmm. and get some feedback on that. And uh, right now what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to do something weird – I'm going to wind the shop, but I'm going to do something. We don't want to. F- I'm going to uh, tail you down to your store because it's just downstairs, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to come down <laughs> and have a look at what you what's going on down there. Okay, come on, come mi- on down. If you don't mind, <laughs> I'm going to film it as well. Okay, see you there, Lorna Jane Clarkson. Thanks very much. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.